Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Doug Tyrrell History and Comment. Hello, friends. I'm Doug Tyrrell. This is History and Comment for Thursday, the 19th of October, 2023. Britain and France were the two major powers in Western Europe during the Middle Ages. And if you have studied any history, the two have never gotten along for a very long period of time. In the fall of 1453, the Hundred Year War begins, and it will be an on-and-off-again war, lasting 116 years and four months. On this day in 1453, England loses its last possession in southern France. If you look at a map of Europe in the Middle Ages, you will not see the countries we know today. The British Isles are set, as is much of France, but the rest is a patchwork of smaller kingdoms. 1469, Ferdinand II of Aragon marries Isabella I of Castile. This unites the two kingdoms. There were a couple of other small regions, but the result is most of the country we know today as Spain. Martin Luther earns his doctorate in theology in 1512. He is a few weeks short of his 27th birthday. His father had hoped his eldest son would become a lawyer. John Jay is sworn in as the first Chief Justice of the United States in 1789. The location of Washington, D.C. in respect to the Confederacy was always a vulnerable position. The Shenandoah Valley in western Virginia was a major route right to the back door of the capital and a major source of food for the Confederacy. On this day in 1864, Confederate forces under General Jubal Early attack U.S. forces. Like a lot of battles, the Confederates carried the day early, and the U.S. forces rebounded for the win. This was known as the Battle of Cedar Creek and ended the threat to Washington, D.C. Streptomycin is isolated by a Ph.D. student at Rutgers University in 1943. It's the first antibiotic remedy for tuberculosis. The Rutgers Project, which was funded by the pharmaceutical company Merck & Company, will isolate a number of antibiotics. The other that will have widespread use is neomycin. In World War II, U.S. forces land in the Philippine Islands on this day in 1944. The United States imposes a near-total embargo on the island nation of Cuba in 1960. While the U.S. has taken some heat for our relations with the Soviet-styled communist island, just 90 miles from the U.S., We often do not hear of actions Castro took against U.S.-owned assets in the country. In this case, they nationalized U.S.-owned oil refineries without compensation. Cuba was in a very good place to be an American tourist destination and benefit from American industry, yet decided to align with the Soviets. The embargo will remain in place until President Obama lifts most of the elements. President Nixon is trying to keep White House tapes private in 1973. This might be one of the biggest legal questions of the period. The taping system was installed by Nixon, and there was no precedence that notes or minutes from White House meetings should be divulged to either Congress or the public. But once the presence of recordings became known, everyone and their brother felt they needed to have access. A modern example would be President Trump's tax returns. 1987, the Dow Jones Industrial Average falls by 22%, the largest single-day drop. What makes large moves like this problematic 
there are a number of automatic triggers by large traders. Once the market falls by a significant amount, other sell trades may be triggered, making the situation worse. Saddam Hussein goes on trial for crimes against humanity in 2005, while here in the U.S., Hurricane Wilma becomes the most intense Atlantic hurricane on record. She will touch the Yucatan Peninsula and make a hard right turn towards Florida, crossing just below Lake Okeechobee. I heard an interesting analogy the other day that really does define the situation. There's a large group of Americans that spent time in college, racked up student debt, and now factions in Washington would like to forgive that. The government money to cover that debt, besides being borrowed, comes from productive folks in society. The students that actually managed to earn a degree were in many cases in disciplines that do not provide jobs that can cash flow the debt. There is nothing wrong with borrowing $10,000 to open a business or buy a home. Those things often gain value. But it's another matter to borrow that sum and take it to a casino. Maybe fun, but not a wise venture. Where this resembles socialism, in the ideal, every member of society is highly productive, creating a surplus in the economy. The central powers determine how each person can bring the highest level of productivity. There is no need for a student to spend a couple of years studying alcohol consumption or rock throwing. Those skills do not benefit the whole. The failure is human nature dictates that individuals will only give the minimum required to receive maximum benefits. No one pays $2 for a $1 lottery ticket. Many of the students did not spend their college time in a way that would be productive. Yet the argument is they should get a free pass. What about the students that went to school at the same time, were careful with their cost, or have since worked hard to pay off their college bill? They were highly productive. And yet, they get no benefit. Socialism only benefits the less productive members of society. The same is true of the student loan forgiveness plans. That's History and Comment for the 19th day of October. I'm Doug Terrell. Now, go do something worth remembering.